Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. I am joined today by Barry Whitworth, the Extension Area Food and Animal Quality Health Specialist. Barry is a licensed veterinarian based in our Southeast Extension District of Oklahoma, and he serves as a resource pretty much for all things animal health. (laughs) Barry, you're our resource. We were just talking before we started recording that Barry gets a lot of chicken questions from me and a lot of people, but we there's not a lot of veterinarians out there that chickens and so he gets that but he definitely is focused in large animal right Barry that is correct and you have you've been on before you've been on the podcast before um but it's been about a year ago so tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and how you came to extension well um I originally grew up in Broken Arrow for most of my life except for a few years down in the southeastern part of the state where my family has some property Obviously graduated from vet school at OSU, traveled around the state a little bit before I opened my own practice just north of Ada in Bing. Uh, I was mainly a large animal veterinarian, did some dog and cat work and a few other animals occasionally, but uh, mainly cow-calf was what I focused on. Uh, And then in 2014, uh, this opportunity came along and I took this job and I've been in extension now for getting close to eight years in July. Yeah, I think we started about the same time. I I think so. Well, thank you for joining me, Barry, taking time out of your busy day, Uh, busy day, busy week. He has, uh, just a side note, he has a, um, what would you call your cow? Uh, I call it a Herford, well, it's a Herford Dystocia Simulator is what we're calling it right now. It may get a Dystocia a, Simulator. Yeah. Yeah. It may get an official name at kind some point. Kind of like point. a calving simulator. Yes. Right? That's what it is. Exactly. Okay, yeah. So, so he got, yeah. Barry got that a couple years ago um, and we really keep him busy. Yeah. Really cool thing to do. I don't know how many cows can have a hundred baby calves in one day. <laughs> That's what we, we keep very pretty busy with that. But this morning, we're not talking cows. We're talking avian influenza. We're on the, on the chicken side. We're teaming up listeners to bring you some information on the latest outbreak of avian influenza. And Barry, this is becoming a pretty large issue. It is. Um, you know, it's started basically in the, on the East Coast, um, and it's progressed west um it's been found uh in every fly zone across the united states uh at least in the wild birds uh, maybe not the domestic but in the wild birds they have found the virus in all the four major flyways that cross the united states um, i don't know that i checked this morning but i think there's 17 states that have found uh, the virus in domestic poultry uh, commercial or backyard and flocks are running about, it's not quite 50-50%, you know, commercial and backyard flocks, uh, but it's close. It's, it's fairly close. Um, uh, obviously, uh, you know, with the commercial side, we've lost a lot more birds at this point compared to the backyard, but uh, it's about an even split between finding and commercial and backyard and backyard flocks. Um, I think I saw the most recent flock that was affected was like half a million birds. Yeah. Commercial flock. And so it is very impactful. 
let's talk just like what's the basic definition of avian influenza barry can you give us a little information on that avian influenza is an it's a it's an influenza a type virus okay and there are multiple uh you know when we talk about influenza viruses i don't want to get too technical here but there's no that's okay there's a hemagglutinin um which we call ha there's 16 of those in the neuramidase uh neuramidase we call them na those there's nine of them so there's those guys get together and that's how we basically you'll see you'll see this h5n1 or you'll see h7n9 whatever we could have up to 144 of those subtypes uh, they're all found in wild birds okay especially our migratory wildfowl and that's where we thought they would stay um, for the most part but they have in, infected a few other animals pigs and people uh, on rare occasions but they're mainly in our migratory waterfowl. And when they get into our domestic birds, such as chickens or turkeys, and even in some other that we don't necessarily think about, like pheasants or Japanese quail or those, uh, they typically cause severe illnesses, um, uh, typically. Now, we also classify them as either low path avian influenza or high path avian influenza. Low path avian influenza, if they get into a a domestic flock, you may not see that severe signs. It may be very mild, or you may not see anything. If we get the high path, that's the one that you'll see the high mortality uh, and or lots of sick birds, that type of thing. So, um, and that's basically how we classify. You'll usually see it classified as either high path or low path avian influenza. And it's pretty natural right for it to exist low path in the wild migratory birds right Barry I mean asymptomatic infection that's that right what we would say yes with few exceptions most of our wild birds typically do not show clinical signs of the disease you will see an occasional exception to that uh, but it's there it's it's mm-hmm. there all the time in the migratory waterfowl, it typically is in the intestinal tract, so it can be excreted in their feces. That's how we suspect a lot of times that birds, you know, are domestic, somehow come in contact either with feces, that wild bird fake material that's in the water, or it's, you know, somehow it gets, they get exposed to it, and that's where they pick up the virus. So you mentioned the flyways, and I didn't want to let that go by, but if listeners can think about the North America, okay, and the flyways, there's four major flyways in the United States. And, and so every year, and this is amazing to me, honestly, I was just talking to my husband about this, that these birds fly north and south and across the entire United States over our wheat pasture, over our corn stubble, and they, and they rest in our ponds and our water areas. And they fly right over our commercial poultry operations every year. And so that they're really in contact, you know, could be, you know, feces or anything could come in contact with um, our other animals and that sort of thing. Of course, it doesn't infect other animals, but, you know, our our poultry. And so it's just there. It's very present uh, right outside our door, you might say. Exactly. And, and what's even to me, what's as if you ever We'll get on and Google up and look at the, the flyways and look at the world and 
And what's amazing about it is, is these birds go up north and birds from Europe and Asia go to the same areas and they all mingle up there. And so that's why when you see avian influenza has been a terrible problem in Europe and Asia the past couple of years. And, and, and it was very, everyone was anticipating that the United States would have problems this year because they know those birds from Europe and Asia are, are up there in the northern parts of, of North America and they all are mingling. So they're exchanging this virus among themselves. Again, it's not making them sick but they're exchanging that virus. And then that's how that virus gets brought back to the United States as they go across these pathways. Uh, and even in these pathways, if you ever look at the ones, you know, you have your Atlantic uh, flyway, Mississippi central and the Pacific flyways. If you look at those flyways, there's even some mingling among those birds as they come across the United States. So it, that's why this virus can be transferred so easily uh, uh, across the United States you know, and from, and we're getting it really from Europe and Asia is where it is coming from, but that's the reason that we have this issue. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's a worldwide issue, like you said. Exactly. So historically it's been present really before 2014, the 2014-15 outbreak that was so bad, it was still present here. We still had some issues with it, right, Barry? Right. Yeah, you can go back to, 1924, if I'm not mistaken, was the first recorded uh, outbreak that occurred in the United States. And it's one that the USDA and all them got involved with and cleaned it up and everything. And that, to my knowledge, is the first recorded outbreak. And it cost, the way I understand, about a million dollars is what the government spent on trying to eradicate i mean not eradicating but you're getting it cleaned up mm -hmm. and getting it getting it controlled uh that then we've had you know similar small outbreaks in the united states since then um obviously what you referred to the 2014-15 outbreak was that was the largest uh, animal disease incident as far as dollars go in this country uh the government spent a about a billion dollars in that cleaning that one up. Um, and that was in direct cost from the government that they spent. Now there's a lot of different, I've seen different numbers, but 3.3 billion is what a lot of people have put as the estimated uh, indirect costs that were associated with that outbreak. Then we had a couple smaller incidents, right? In, you know, in the past couple of years, 16 and 17, and I think 2020, there was one. Right. Um, and then I guess the conditions were ripe for 2022. And we talked right. a little those, you know, statistics, 17 states so far. Barry, let's talk about the signs and why should we should be concerned. You know, we talk a lot about disease and health. <laughs> and it's hard yeah. to, I think sometimes it can just get really like white noise in the background. Uh, right. But this is pretty serious. And so let's talk a little bit about the signs, what people could see and, and why is it a big deal? Typically, influenza viruses are going to be upper respiratory infections. So just think of you, if you get the flu, runny nose, runny eyes, sneezing, coughing, um, maybe labored breathing, those types of things is what you're going to typically see with the influenza virus. Now, 
these viruses are pretty, as far as high path avian influenza, uh, they're very, what we'd call virulent. So they're, they're mean is what I would say. So they, you will also see, uh, they will have, impact the nervous system they will infect the digestive tract so you might see some additional clinical signs such as neurological these these birds may look like they're unbalanced they may have um, they may tilt their head or they may you know turn their neck those types of things you might see you might see some diarrhea with it uh, we'll see some swelling uh, in like the hawks and those types of things the other things uh, that you'll see, because they don't breathe as well, you'll notice that maybe you'll get some bluish tint to their combs or those types of their extremities because they're not getting oxygen circulating in their body. So your tissues tend to turn discolor a little bit. Uh, obviously, they're not going to eat as well or drink as well. And you'll also see maybe some uh, one of the things I know um, that I've heard some people talk about, at least in layers, one of the things you might see uh, early is you'll see a drop in egg production or some misshapen eggs and those types of things. So it can span the gamut. I, I you know, but again, think influenza, think what happens to you in an upper respiratory uh, disease. And that's probably what you'll normally see uh, first off. And you would see probably pretty high death loss. Pretty and soon this, after you see exactly, some of the and that may be the only thing you see initially. Right. Sometimes they just come in and it, um, and all of a sudden we're we're seeing half our flock is is dead or dying. Right. I mean that's what you'll see. There's some really amazing pictures uh, that was taken by a veterinarian in Minnesota uh, where they captured a morning picture, an afternoon picture, and an evening picture in a flock of turkeys. Uh, it was amazing how quickly those turkeys were dying from one or two in the morning to there was only one or two alive in the evening. It was just amazing. So it can be very, it can be a nasty disease to have to deal with. And so that's why we're really concerned, right? It impacts the um, <laughs> yeah. industry, um, you know, U.S. agriculture. Exactly. It's, it's a big deal. Yes. I mean, when you think of the number, uh, you know, in 2014-15, I don't know if people remember, but egg prices shot up pretty quick. And one of the biggest, biggest issues we have with it uh, is as soon as you find high path avian influenza in your country, export, export markets are shut off. That's, that's just the way it is. And until it can get cleaned up and you get back with those countries that close, uh, uh, their their markets to U.S. products uh, until you you know you have to get it cleaned up and then you can start talking to those countries about opening back their markets back up. But it can take a while to get those export markets open back up. So that's mm -hmm. what is really devastating in this is the closing of the export markets to the poultry products. So we want to say that there's not been any avian influenza found in Oklahoma to the state. We're talking on. March 23rd. Hopefully we can keep it that way. What can poultry producers do to prevent the disease? So I'm talking, you know, a lot of commercial poultry people have a biosecurity plan. You know, they're instituting it. They've been practicing it for many months leading up to this time. 
but this is like small and medium flocks, backyard flocks, um, yeah. smaller producers that may not have the resources, may not know the importance of it. And so I think biosecurity, you know, is key. So what are some of the things that fall into biosecurity? People use lots of definitions to say for biosecurity. You know, my basic thing is I want to keep all these pathogens, these bugs, whatever you want to call them. I want to keep them outside my fence. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to prevent the introduction of a pathogen into my property. Now, there's more to it than that in the sense of if there happens to be a pathogen introduced to my property, I want to contain it and not allow it to spread. So I think biosecurity functions on about four pillars is what I call them. And, and, and we're talking about traffic, isolation, uh, sanitation, and husbandry. I, I, I keep it simple like that. Um, you know, when we think about traffic, we need to control who enters our property, um, especially poultry. I mean, put up signs, you know, you got fences, you got gates. Don't let people come into your property and walk around and have contact with your poultry. Uh, you don't know where they've been. You don't know uh, if they've been in, uh, in another place that has poultry that could be sick. And especially, I would say, be careful about anybody that visits a foreign country. You don't want those people especially to walk on your property. So you've got to control your traffic. I think if you think about sanitation, that's just general rules, keeping things clean, tidy, um, making sure we clean our whatever we're feeding in with, um, watering with, just in general, cleaning out the poultry house uh, routinely and, and, and disinfecting it, um, making sure if we have any dead animals that we get, you know, pick those up promptly. Um, husbandry, I look at just making sure those animals are healthy. I mean, I always tell people, I don't care what animal it is, if you will just sit and watch the animal and learn what they do normally, it becomes very obviously when they're not normal. And so that's how I tell people to learn to pick up abnormal. It's not reading all the books and learning all the different signs of sickness. If you learn what happens normally, how they act normally, uh, then you'll be, you'll easily know when something's not right. Um, and then when we talk about uh, as far as isolations, uh, you know, don't introduce I don't introduce new poultry to your property without going through a quarantine uh, at least 30 days. I would also suggest to you, if you're going to buy new poultry, buy poultry from a reputable uh, breeder. Uh, I, I think if they are on the National Poultry Improvement Plan, uh, that would be uh, a group that I would look at buying from. Uh, they, they've got to meet certain requirements to be a part of that. Um, and so I would, I would suggest buying from them. The other thing I know a lot of our backyard or flocks or, or for, you know, 4-H kids, they've got show mm -hmm. projects. So they're going to take their poultry, you know, to a show or something like that uh, exhibition. You really, when you bring that bird home, should not put it back with the flock at least a couple of weeks. If you want to go longer, that's good. But uh, at least two weeks before you enter it back into flock and make sure you're not bringing something home with you because you sure don't want to bring something home and infect all the birds that you get. I think not related to avian influenza <clears throat> specifically, but I think one of the majority of calls that I get about people who have, you know, have got backyard flocks and all of a sudden they've got sick birds. 
in our conversations, it, so many times they have gone to a swap shop or some poultry sale and bought chickens or whatever it may be, uh, whether it be turkeys or whatever, and they bring those birds home and they just put them in their flock. And then the next thing, a week or two later, all of a sudden they've got sick birds. Uh, so really that I think is one of the keys is do not bring something home and give it to your birds. You can get pretty, I know it can get a lot more complicated than that if you want to make it, but those are simple steps. I would say another simple thing to do is get some designated clothes and shoes to when you go out to mess with your, your birds. Uh, because if you think about it, if you go to the feed store, you walk in, you buy feed, everybody else is up there too. You could track something, pick something up on your shoes. And if you come home and go right out into your birds, there's a possibility you're bringing that back to your birds. So if you can go in, change clothes, change shoes, and then go and wash your hands, always mm -hmm. wash your hands before you go out to, to mess with your birds. And then I think you'll really stand a, a, a really good chance of not getting a sickness introduced to your birds. If you'll do some of those simple things. Now, I noticed that Dr. Clark, the University of Arkansas, uh, and some other people have recommended for poultry, if they're, uh, you know, during this specific time right now, if there's any way you can keep your birds inside for the next 30 days, they're suggesting it. Now, some of us can't do that, mm -hmm. but if you can, uh, I know I have a few my wife has a few chickens at home. Uh, we have put a tarp over the top of our little, you know, we've got kind of one of those tractors, but okay. it's opened yeah. in, but we went ahead and put a, a tarp over the top of it. So uh, it, it, it would prevent uh, at least, uh, you know, if, a, if for some reason a bird came and, and defecated, it's not going to fall into the cage. We've got them protected from that. Uh, and our screening that we have doesn't allow for any wild birds to get into it. So, but, but we just put that over that just to protect them for a while uh, to keep, keep the possibility of fecal material from falling from the sky and into that, uh, into that area. And, and we live out in the country and we, uh, you know, the poultry out in the backyard, but we, we, where we live, we've got several acres. And so there's ponds there and I know wild ducks and geese fly, you know, are on those ponds at different times. So our birds don't have any access to that water or to that pond, but still there's a possibility that they could fly over and defecate in our cage if, if, if we didn't have something over the top of it right now. Right. And I think, I think just general cleanliness, I mean, yeah, cleaning up your feed, not attracting rodents or mm -hmm. insects, you know, as we, as it gets warmer, we're going to have more insects and insects can be vectors for any sort of disease. If we're, now, all this biosecurity stuff applies to external parasites, internal parasites, sure. all these things that impact poultry. And so I think, you know, just taking some extra time, a little bit more clean. And I agree with you, Barry, like this free, doing free range poultry right now, it might be good to pen them up. Right. A bit of time. Um, and, and just to prevent that, I think the next 30 days are going to be pretty crucial. If we have some concerns, if our listeners have some concerns. I mean, in reality, dead birds are, you know, it's going to happen. But if we see a lot of dead birds, if we see some of these signs we've been talking about, there are some people that people can talk, contact. There are some contacts. 
again, if you all of a sudden see several sick, sick birds or several dying, uh, that's when you need to get in contact with somebody. Either contact your local veterinarian, contact your extension office, the agriculture extension educator, or contact uh, the state veterinarian's office. I mean, and the USDA has a toll-free number that you can call. Uh, so there's there's several places you can, several people you can call, uh, but get in touch with somebody and, and let them know. Uh, chances are, even if you call your veterinarian or extension educator, I think they're going to call the state veterinarian. Uh, and so that's probably where we should go if you're really concerned. Uh, they're going to send somebody out just to take a look. Um and and make sure uh, there's not a problem if you've got one that you know one of the one of the birds that has died they're probably going to take that bird uh, and do some testing on it to make sure that you don't have uh, a problem with avian influenza um, i know there's concern um, especially with with us that's got backyard poultry I, I put myself in there. I'm definitely no poultry expert. Uh, you know, my wife gets pretty attached to her birds. Uh, and you can be concerned, uh, you know, if the state gets involved, that you, you know, you could lose your poultry, that type of thing, um, if it was found to be avian influenza. But I think we have to remember and keep in mind, the poultry industry in Oklahoma is a significant economic uh as far as has a significant economic impact on our state's economy. And so we have to protect it. And I think if you've got one chicken, you are a poultry producer and it's our responsibility to protect that industry. So we have to do what's in the best interest of all and be careful about being selfish about just our own birds. We have to do what's in the best interest of this poultry industry. Yeah, that's well said, Barry. I mean, even if we just have a few birds, we're part of the agriculture industry. It's show birds, everything. And so I think that that's a very good point. Um, Barry, it's a crucial time for the poultry industry and U.S. agriculture. And so I appreciate you coming on to talk about this. Help me help me through this. <laughs> um, it can be kind of complicated sometimes, but it is very simple as far as biosecurity. These are things that we need to be doing. Um, that we need to be practicing on a day-to-day -day basis. That's exactly right. And, and it's been my pleasure to talk to you. And I hope that uh, uh, if people need any help, you know, get contact with your county educator. They can call me. I'll do everything I can to help you with that. Again, I'm no poultry expert by any stretch of imagination, but I do try to keep up with it and read about it. And, uh, um, and, and again, we have a few in our backyard. We enjoy it. It's, it's a fun hobby for us. For sure. And we will put the list of the resources that Barry talked about in the show notes. And we have several fact sheets in addition to a, a poultry online course that has some information about biosecurity and disease. Lots of resources through Oklahoma State University. Not a lot of us are poultry experts, but <laughs> I would assure you that we are all doing our best um, to help. Um, answer some of these questions that are coming through. So thanks again, Barry, both Oklahoma Department of Agriculture and the United States Department of Agriculture have some resources that defend the flock. Um, if you Google, mm -hmm. that's a really good resource for producers. 
um, just to talk about biosecurity. And then you can also track some of the infections as they go on, the detections of the human influenza on that USDA website. Kind of keeps us up in the news as far as avian influenza goes. So think about biosecurity, look at the resources, and if you have any questions, contact OSU Extension or any of the resources we have. Thank you for joining us today, and we will catch you next week.